Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Good morning. Um, yeah, I just told Paul, I, I, I think we'd be remiss if we just didn't have a quick prayer and maybe a little understanding too um, about what happened in Pittsburgh, the uh, 11 people that were killed in the synagogue um, there. And I have a special heart for, for the Jewish people. And as it says in Romans 11, you know, all Israel will be saved. All Israel. And that includes the 11 in Pittsburgh and their families. So if you'll just pray with me over that. Uh, Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and we just, we mourn with those who mourn. And we become angry when we see things happen to your people, Lord. But Father, we also know that I have confidence that even in their last moments, or maybe their first moments with you, that the 11 that were killed will look upon the one that they have pierced and will recognize their Messiah and will come into his love and his righteousness and his forgiveness. And Lord, we just pray for all those there that, uh, that mourn and we just ask, yes, let them recognize their Messiah as the comforter, as the one that will come and give them peace. We also know, Lord, that <laughs> you are going to use this horror, this terror to do great things in this world. And we just say yes to that. We say yes to the end of anti-Semitism. We say yes to uh, uh, all those things. Are, you are going to use this terrible, mm -hmm. terrible action to, to change in this world, as you always do. And we just say yes to whatever you have planned. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Father. Thanks for your obedience to the Spirit there, Max. Father, we ask that you bless this time and that this is not just words, but filled with your presence, filled with your power. I specifically pray, Lord, that this morning you're releasing assignments, that you're, you're breaking off the hindrance to powerful assignments that you have planned for us. In your name, always in your name we pray, amen. And so last week we, we ended off, um, the Lord wanted to do some things. He wanted to change some disappointment. He wanted to heal disappointment um, so that we could um, reopen ourselves to the risk to walking in him, right? How many of you were here for that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I want to pick up right there, and that's going to lead us where, where we're going. Do you know the difference um, the, do you know the opposite of disappointment biblically is joy. Joy. And do you know that we've, we're, um, I think, 
Um, I'll know for sure by 10 o'clock next Sunday, or actually three Sundays from now. <laughs> I think this is the last message in this series on warfare. Okay, and do you know what the, um, the word of God says? And what, if it goes at all according to plan, we're probably going to look at it this morning. But do you know what your strength is? Say what? Our joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What the heck does that mean? We're going to look at that this morning. And you know, disappointment, disappointment turned is joy. The opposite of disappointment is joy. I was going to read this last week and didn't, but Proverbs 13, 12, um, I don't think I gave you that one, and that's okay. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. So for those of you that received a healing on that, received a transformation in that place of disappointment where you started to rewrite theology out of disappointment instead of the truth about God, begin to see that tree of life. Because I want to tell you something. Your strength is in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And there, there is a tree, um, Lorraine mentioned, um, the kingdom of seeds, right? Seeds are promise. God plants seeds. But you can, you can find many places in this word of God where it talks about his, his plans for the seed is that we become mighty, fruitful trees. Okay? So have great expectations. And that leads us right where we're going. If you got your healing last week, have great expectations. There's a seedling sprouted that he's bringing into a great tree. We just had to get some disappointment out of the way. Okay? And I encourage you um, to see that desire transformed. You understand the Lord has plans over you all the time. All the time he has plans over you. And there was a disappointment there. But the desire becomes transformed. Sometimes the Lord needs to transform that desire into something slightly different than you thought it was. But he's got a tree, a mighty fruitful tree in mind. Amen? Okay. I'm just going to introduce a couple of things before we jump into the scriptures. And, and really, it's kind of a review. Okay, why do we battle? One of the things we talked, why are we in a warfare? In other words... One of the things we talked about last week is that it's not a warfare over sin, right? Do you remember why? That's it. It's done. That war is over. That's not an encouragement to go sin, okay? But we are going to explore a little bit today why in Romans, Paul doesn't encourage you to go sin, and neither does this Paul. I don't encourage you to go sin. That's just a bad idea. And we're going we're gonna to look at why, Okay, but the battle's not over sin. He's defeated that. In fact, he's defeated sin's big brother, death. Both of those are taken care of. They're done. So why are we in a warfare? Okay, now I'm going to tell you, we are in a warfare for the release of your God-given identity. That's the warfare. Okay, do you know that you have... Biblically, and I, I'm just, I have way too much, so I'm not, we're not going to look today, but do you know biblically, you have a preconception identity. You are a word spoken by God. Before you were conceived, you have a prenatal identity. You have a pre-birth 
identity. In fact, you have an identity that is the truth about you that is God-designed before you were born again, before you were reborn. You have an identity. You are God's idea. You are a word spoken by God, a son of God. You're his idea. He delights in you. He's crazy about you. And, and he has an idea about who you are, and that's what he made. Before you were conceived, before you lived your first day, Jesus tells us, pray, um, your kingdom come, your will be done. What's his plan for that happening? You are. (laughs) You are the place for the filling of the Spirit. So his kingdom comes, so his will is done. So you understand the warfare is over the the manifestation, the release of your true identity, what Jesus Christ created in you when he made you, when he made your identity before you were even conceived. Is that the truth? Thank God he's the one who knit you. In your mother's womb, right? In other words, he's designing you perfect to be perfectly equipped for the destiny that he has before you, for the joy before you. And that's what we're going to really look at this morning. So the warfare is over you becoming the carrier of the weight of the glory that he's planned for you. You are the place of God's glory. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The warfare is is not merely over your salvation, as glorious as that is, that that you, you do not have to die. Praise God, right? But the, the spiritual warfare is over you moving from glory to glory in the Lord, becoming a warrior who carries a weight of glory that he has planned for you. That's the good news. <laughs> now, I'm just going to say one more thing. In other words, if, um, if you want yourself you got a battle in front of you, right? If you are going to have the manifestation of what's already spoken about you, what's already true because you have a good father, if you want that, if you want your true identity, the manifestation of yourself is what is, is the battle that's ahead of you. Free, healthy, powerful, your identity manifesting the kingdom of God in this place. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about joy today. And to do that, we're going we're gonna to kind of take the long road because it's on my heart to show you um, how this joy works, why joy is a weapon of your warfare that walks you straight into the center of what God's calling you into. Okay, so go with me to 1 Timothy um, chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18. Now, I've got to tell you this. We're not just leaping all over the scripture, even though I'm sure that's exactly what it looks like. For, for a month or months, we've basically been, been walking right through Ephesians, the Gospel of John, and parables of Jesus. That's what we've been doing. In fact, we've hardly moved at all. We're just, has, has anyone noticed? We're just inching the same passages. And we're, we're going to do it again. The Lord um, wants to show us something. And jumping to 1 Timothy is really not a jump. Do you know why? Timothy, okay, Timothy is um, really the apostle of the church of Ephesus. 
And to kind of put that into our culture, what, what we would say today is to get an understanding here is Timothy is basically the senior pastor <laughs> of the church of Ephesus. And you understand that the New Testament is made up, largely made up of letters, right? And there's really two different kinds or flavors of letters. Some of the letters like the like first and second Corinthians, they're letters to the whole church. They're designed to be, to be read to the assembly, to address things that need to be addressed. Okay? And then there are letters like, like Timothy, where this was a personal letter written to Timothy by his mentor, Paul. Paul's writing to him personally. Now, I don't know if Timothy would have been embarrassed if he knew it was going to become so widely public. Um, some of the exhortations I've gotten by letter, um, I wouldn't necessarily want them to be public just yet. <laughs> don't publish it on me. Um, actually, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> but that's what this is. So, and the, this is what's really significant about it. You know that um, many of the letters are written because those particular churches were having particular issues that needed to, they're, they're literally letters of, of addressing problems. And we might even talk about a little, bit, a little of that this morning. This particular letter, see, the church of Ephesus that, that Timothy is largely leading is a church that seems to have, to have busted out. It's really kind of like the only letter that, although you might see a couple of little things that are addressed, it's, it's really not addressing a problem. If anything, it's addressing that like, wow, you guys have moved on from the milk and you're into the meat. You, you, what you need is mentoring in the full receiving of your inheritance. You're ready. You are a church that is manifesting the kingdom of God. That's the church that Timothy's leading. leading. And this, this letter, what we're about to read, comes in that context, the church of Ephesus. Okay. So, and this is what Paul says to Timothy, and we're going we're gonna to pull some things about joy that I'm pretty sure at least something is going to be new for you and help you fight the good fight, okay? So we're looking at, if I haven't told you yet, we're going in verse 18, chapter 1. And it says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So you see, it is a warfare passage. There is a war going on. And what do we war over? That's it. The, the manifestation of our true identity. God is ever nurturing you. I have a son. I am ever nurturing him toward him becoming a free, powerful, healthy him. <laughs> and that's what God is doing with you. That's how he's crazy about you as a good, good father. Right? And so here, that, that's what this warfare is over. And we're going to see that clearly before we're done. But I want you to notice these words. It says that, you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. By what? according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to keep reading here. I'm going to tell you something. Today, the Lord wants you to have a really powerful sense of the fact that he does put words out in front of you. It is critical, mission critical, 
to the Christian life that you have a word out before you. In fact, it's how you wage the good warfare. I'm going to show you that. The Lord wants me to show you that. I know this is so powerfully impressed on me that you even see that in Jesus' life. Okay? So this is how he's instructed to wage the warfare, according to the prophecies previously made concerning him. Words, personal words that were given to him. And we're almost existing in a church anymore where we just, we've pretty much resigned that God doesn't speak anymore. As you look around the American church, prophecy is a taboo word. <laughs> Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, right? It goes on and says, having faith and a good conscience. Now, we've gone full circle, okay, to what I started talking about. You understand, the war is not over sin. That war is won. So look how he wages this war. He wages the war in faith. You remember, that's the currency of the kingdom, right? And then, oddly, it goes on and says, a good conscience. Now, listen to me. What is a conscience? What is your conscience? It is merely, and I do mean merely, the way that you feel <laughs> about how you are walking out the words of God in your life. How you feel about how you are walking out God's truth in your life. Do you know that it's not about, in some sense, it's, it's completely irrelevant if you understand that the, sin against, uh, the war against sin is won. So what's so powerful about conscience? I want to tell you, it has everything to do with the joy set before you, with the word set before you. I wanted to go and look at every place that, that the scriptures talk about conscience and how it affects your walking out of the truth of the calling on your life. But that's it. It really, it really is just an aspect of the warfare. Conscience is, is just what, what dirties up, what messes up. You're absolutely being grounded in the Father's love and having the faith to walk out your word. And that's what you're reading here. Paul is exhorting him to wage the good warfare. What warfare? The completion of his assignment, the completion of his calling. Why? Because that's joy for him. You're made to participate through the fullness of the completion of your assignment. Amen? That's joy for you. God knows that, and the way that he can know that is he made you. He made you for that. He made you for himself, for that intimacy of walking in participation with him, right? And he goes on and says, which some have rejected. What did they reject? Conscience and the words spoken over them, the personal words in your intimacy, like we sang about. Words that are just for you. Personal words. And if you're scratching your head there, I promise that will become clear. And he goes on and says, of whom are... Um, well, it says, concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, can you imagine his confidence? That one just cracks me up. Can you imagine me coming to somebody and going, Harry, we're going to have to deliver you to Satan. 
<laughs> I mean, we really have to, you really have got to get to a place where you don't blaspheme God. Do you know what that is? That's, that's simply telling something or, or purporting something that is not true about God, something that is less than his goodness, is blaspheme. I cannot imagine myself saying that, but Paul delivers some to Satan. <laughs> Out of care for them, right? So that they learn not to blaspheme, so that they learn to quit, to quit lessening others' faith in that personal word that, is, that God is speaking over them. Okay. I want to show you a pattern here, okay? And then we're going to move. I, it's, it's interesting. Why do we have to talk about, about God's personal word to you, about laying in front of you a word that you're walking toward, about prophecy, really? Why do we have to talk about that to talk about joy? We're going to see that here, okay? Go with me. Um, I'm going to show you an Old Testament pattern, an Old Testament truth that carries right into, you see that God does not change. It carries right into the New Testament, and, and it's a pattern for this warfare, okay? Look in Ezra chapter 6 and verse 13 with me. Here it says, Then Tetanai, governor of the region beyond the river, Sheth Arban Bosnai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So I want to give you the, um, I want to just very quickly give you the context here. This is what's going on. The, the exiles, the people that have been scattered, the people of Israel are returning to Jerusalem in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They are rebuilding, they are getting ready to rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. God is saying rebuild. Now what's significant about that? What, what are they building? What is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the place of God's glory. It is the, it is the place that, that God says, I will be your God, you will be my people, I will dwell among you, right? That's the promise. And Jerusalem is torn down. The temple's been destroyed. And so what are they rebuilding? They are rebuilding the dwelling place of God's glory so that his glory, his, his presence can be in the earth. Why am I telling you that? Because that's your story, <laughs> okay? You, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We say that all the time here. Us together are a building fitted together. In fact, we're going to see that again in a minute. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the place of God's glory, the person of God's glory for the manifestation of his kingdom here. So this story in Ezra and Nehemiah is your story. It's his physical picture of your life, of being built into the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, that's why we're reading this. Now listen, in verse 14 it says, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. Or is that Ido? And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Listen to me, why did I read that? They prospered through the prophesying. Now, I was so tempted to go all over the Bible and grab every time it said that. But why is that significant? What, 
Do you understand this is, this is setting out that the prophesying, the words of God set before the people are how they prospered. Why? Have you ever tried to move to go somewhere and you don't know where you're going? Have you ever tried that? Now let's just say there are no challenges, there's no warfare, there's nothing in your way. And you set off to go somewhere, you set off to accomplish something and you have no idea what you're trying to do. That would be very difficult, right? But now imagine if you were trying to do that and there was a warfare against it, a resistance, persecution and trials and troubles, what hope would you have that you were going to get there? You see, it was, I'm going to show you this. It was the joy set before them. Why does the word of God say they, prof, they prospered through the prophesying? It's because it's mission critical. <laughs> you have to have a personal word. We're, I'm going to tell you something, church. We're in deep trouble. If we've quit believing, if we've quit demanding of the Lord, if we've quit asking of him to speak on a personal level where we know where we're going, you cannot read this. You cannot come away from this story and not see that your God wants a relationship. He wants intimacy. He wants people who come to him with a boldness, who access the throne of grace with boldness, asking for the word that I need so that I can walk toward it. Do you remember what we said um, the purpose of warfare is? To establish you, right? And you remember what that word means? To set you steadfastly in a direction. That's literally what that word establish means in that warfare passage. How can you be set if you don't have a word? Okay, now I want to show you, um, um, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. I want to show you that this is not just the Old Testament and the good, good father did not stop being the good, good father of intimacy with his pro the promise of his presence among you, wanting you to be a friend. What's a friend? I think we might have time to look at that. What's a friend? A friend knows everything. A friend is in the know. That's how God wants you. He wants an intimacy, a relationship where you're in the know. You know what he's doing. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father say. Do you know that everything the word of God said about Jesus is now true about you? Why can I say that? You're the body of Christ. <laughs> He didn't change his ministry. He's still doing exactly the same thing. And how is he doing it now? We are the body of Christ. He's now doing it through you. I don't think we did Ephesians 2 yet, did we? Okay. <laughs> Ephesians 2 and verse 19 says, now I want you to see the similarity from what we just read out of what he spoke over his people rebuilding the temple back there. Now he's rebuilding the temple here. Okay? And he says, verse 19, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The words that are set before you, okay? The, the target, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom, listen to these words, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's you. In whom you also, so now it gets intensely personal. In whom you, that's you, the word, the actual word used there in the original language is you. <laughs> that's you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Okay? In other words, nothing's changed. Back there in Ezra and Nehemiah, what they were building was the dwelling place for the Spirit. Today, what God is doing in your life, here I'm going to prophesy over you. Today, what God is doing in your life is making you into a more and more gloriously powerful dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Okay. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, if, if you've been swimming a little bit trying to keep up, I promise this is the moment where it gets crystal clear. Okay. For the joy set before him. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, we also... So this is a big therefore. You've all heard me talk about therefores. In other words, in Hebrews chap chapters 1 through 11 is a big old, the identity of Jesus. <laughs> the whole book is, who is Jesus? What is his identity? What was his preconception, prenatal, pre-walking out his ministry Already spoken about him in the courts of heaven, already true, but now it's his job to walk it out. We know that he perfectly succeeded in doing it. Thank you, Jesus. And chapters 1 through 11 are his identity. Okay? And then chapter 12 says, therefore, <laughs> you have to love that, a therefore for 11 chapters. And it says, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. There's the conscience thing. You see, it ensnares you. It's not that Jesus has a problem taking care of it. It's that it ensnares you. There's the problem. And it says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know you have, um, that's really fancy talk for you do actually have a destiny. He does actually have powerful, beautiful plans because he's crazy about you. And he wants you to have that joy. He wants you to walk in your powerful plans. Is it because he needs something from you? Absolutely not. He's a father who produces where he doesn't even sow. But he's crazy about you. <laughs> he really wants you to be a part of it. All right, here's where it gets good. Is it good already? <laughs> okay. Run the race, run the race. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, verse 2. Look unto Jesus. Okay, so now, um, now it's going to give you the how. In other words, how do you run your race? Do it like Jesus did it. There's a good idea. It lays it out. Here's how you run the race, like Jesus did it. Look unto Jesus. In other words, look at your example 
Obviously, he's far more than an example, but he is still an example to us, right? Look under Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What'd you just read? How did Jesus endure the cross? Despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. You understand, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the creator of the universe, the one who was in the beginning with the Father, in whom all things were created, all things are sustained and exist, in whom your creator, the one who designed you, who first had you as a prenatal idea, an identity that is in him, and then knit you in your mother's womb and knew your days before you lived them. Him. (laughs) He endured the cross for the joy set before him. If he needed to have an assurance of the identity that he was walking out, the word set before him, how much more do we need that? Do we have a chance if we're just kind of walking, walking and feeling, oh, I'm sure the Lord loves me. I'm not quite sure where I'm headed. But Jesus calls you friends. Why does he do that? Because he knows that you need to have, you need to have some sense of where you're going. Even Jesus needed that sense. Now, now I'm going to tell you, we've looked at, I think we've looked at it in three different gospels over the last three weeks or a month. His prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? We've looked at all the different versions, I think, almost. And we know that he goes back three times to his father, back and forth from the disciples to his father. And he's praying. What's he praying? He's praying, Father, take the cup from me. If, if there's any other way, in other words, what's he saying? If, if there's any other way your will can be accomplished, can we do it that way? Right? But if there is no other way, then your will be done. And Jesus the king, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, goes to his father in agony three times. Do we have to do it this way, Lord? Can you take the cup? What's he doing? What's he praying? He He is asking the father for that exchange that we've been talking about for weeks. He is going to the father and he's saying, I need you to confirm the word. I have to know, if I know that this, this is the way, that this is the word, the joy that you have set out before me, the word, the participation that you want me to walk in, if I have that assurance, then I can endure the cross, scorning its shame, then I'm ready to go. And we, we know what happens for him. He makes that exchange in the intimacy, with, in fellowship with his father. He makes that exchange. And here in Hebrews, we know exactly what he was doing when he was praying in the garden. He was getting an assurance of the joy set before him. Do you have a joy set before you? Have you lost faith? <laughs> That your good father wants you to have words set before you. He actually wants you to be in a relationship where you understand what they are. Amen? Amen. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that example for the joy that was set before him. Do you, um, I think we need to do this. Do you know what his cup actually was? Do you know why it was so agonizing? Why it required such an assurance and the intimacy with his father? Do you understand that his cup, let's do this. How many of you have ever felt shame? Guilt. Okay. His cup was he was about to take on the shame of the world. Every person who ever lived, was living, or would live, he was about to take on all of their shame, all of their guilt, all of their reproach of the entire world and take it to hell with him. He knew that that was his cup. I thank God that's not my cup. That's how he's crazy about you. He took on all that shame. Do you, do you see how you would need an assurance? <laughs> oh, you would need to know. You would need to have an intimacy, uh, a fellowship with the Father where you had some understanding where you're supposed to walk to, what you're supposed to establish on, right? That was Jesus's cup. You know, and I'm feeling um, today... Um, before we're done, at the end of the service, if, if there's anybody here today and you're not totally sure that you are taking advantage of the fact that Jesus took all your shame, all your guilt, all the reproach, everything that, that would put you in death and you want to just know today that, that the Savior took care of it for you if you just accept it. We're going to have an opportunity for you, for you to, to get with one of our caregivers. He did that. Do you know that he took the shame, um, the shame and the guilt, even for people who, who are not saved? Because the word of God says that he, he desires that all would be saved, that none would be lost. In other words, he had to finish the work. That was his cup. Now we're not going to make it for sure. <laughs> okay, this is good. You know, um, I want to talk about joy for a minute, and I want to connect this to, this to the fact that God wants you to have a word. First of all, do you believe that God wants you to have an understanding of his word spoken over you, the joy that is set before you out in front of you? Good, good, good. It's, it's mission critical. It's, I think part of, part of the desperation that's going on in our world is we have a bunch, a bunch of folks, even Christians, that are just trying to walk along and be a good Christian <laughs> and they don't have a sense of a word before them. They don't know what they're established on. I've spent plenty of desperate years of my life that way. 
No, no idea really what God was calling over my life. And that is a hard way to walk. That, that I want to tell you something. The word of God is crystal clear, and we're going to see it as we continue to move forward this morning, that in that state, we're very, very vulnerable to the spiritual warfare that goes on. It's crippling. It's almost impossible to keep walking in the joy of the Lord when you don't have that word. Or when we become a church who doesn't even believe that he is so intimate that he's speaking them words over us. Amen? I want you to see how powerful joy is. Um, Deuteronomy 28 and 40, verse 47. Did I give you those? Oh. And actually, for times, I'm just going to read one verse here. This is the power of joy. It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore, you shall serve your enemies. Did you hear that? <laughs> the power of joy. And what is, what is the biblical joy? The biblical joy is, is walking into the center of your identity. Your identity was God's idea. He knows your days before you live the first one. He is walking you into powerful destiny because he's crazy about you like that. Why do they serve their enemies? They serve because they did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. Now, if that's not audacious, actually, I'm not going to read this. I'm going to tell you about it. If you want to read it, it's Nehemiah 8. And this is the place where literally it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm going to tell you the story. This is what's going on in, in Nehemiah 8. Okay, they are, they are rebuilding the walls. And, and they begin, um, so Ezra is the priest and Nehemiah is the governor. So they're, they're working together for the rebuilding of the place of God's glory, the place for the spirit to dwell, okay? And, and uh, in the process of doing this, they pull out the law, and they have a whole generation, actually generations, of people who are not familiar with the law. And so every day, Ezra is standing up there, and he's just reading from the law, and that the convicting power of the presence of the Lord has everyone weeping. They're weeping and grieving and mourning over, over lost ground, over time lost. Where have we been? We didn't even know the truth of God. We didn't even know what's in here. Okay? Now, now I want to show you some things. Here, here's what's crazy. What did uh, Pastor Sally said? I had to scribble this down this morning. says that the, the Jewish people's mindset is they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. You remember that? Okay, it's right here. It's not, they, get that. they get that from their history, okay? That, those kinds of sayings that they say. And here I just want to show you, go to, um, actually, I'll just grab a couple of verses, okay? Nehemiah um, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Okay, skip with me to verse 6, and it says, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. 
And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, this is the impact that the words of God are having over them. Um, Verse 8 says, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Now, let me tell you what's going on. Literally, there are people there that don't even necessarily, aren't even speaking the same language. They have literally have interpreters passing on the law to the people, and they are so convicted, they're weeping. I think I'm about to read that. And in verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, now listen to these words. This is what they say to the people. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about that. Can you imagine? They're sitting there, they're mourning, they're weeping, and and the priest... They're, they're coming to them saying, stop mourning. Don't weep. <laughs> this day is holy. This is the Lord's day. Now, what does the New Testament tell us? This is the day that the Lord has made. You can say that every day, right? This is the day that the Lord's had made. And then what? Let us rejoice in it. We're talking about the power of joy, the weapon of warfare. Don't weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, listen, (laughs) here's the, uh, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. It says, um, then he said to them, go your way, eat the, uh, did I skip? No, that's, that's good. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for. In other words, take care of those who don't have what they need to party. Um, Make sure they have party supplies, invite them over. And they're saying, why? Um, For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. Stop being sorrowful. (laughs) For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's the place. I know you've heard that before. This is where it occurs in the word of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What are they saying? We know that there's things to grieve. We know that there's sorrow, but they're commanding the people. They're saying the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're not full of joy, and we see in the example of Jesus Christ, what is joy? What are they doing here? They're rebuilding a place for the Lord's glory, a place for the spirit to dwell so that we can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here, because there's a, place, there's a dwelling place for the Spirit of God to manifest the kingdom of God in this place. That's joy. For the joy set before him, even Jesus, for the joy set before him, it was that strength that allowed him to walk into the hardest cup that any man has ever had to walk into in the history of mankind on this earth. feeling sorrowful? Throw a party. (laughs) Remember that the Lord your God, remember the goodness. Last week we talked about being rooted and grounded in the Father's love. Talked about how lost the cause is. If you're not rooted and grounded in the Father's love, you might as well throw this away because you'll interpret the whole thing wrongly anyway. You will definitely come up with a religious, worn-out, bondage-making version of what this thing is saying if you're not rooted and grounded in the Father's love. Amen? There's nothing but the Father's love. 
There's nothing but the finished work of Jesus Christ over you. And he is your example, needed a, a joy set before him, a word that he could get an assurance from the Father to walk in, to be established and steadfast. I'm going that way. The Father has confirmed it for me. If he needed that, I'm pretty sure I need it. This day is holy. Don't sorrow. <laughs> Quit mourning. Go have a party. Because, because what? The words of God. Do you understand? I'm, I'll tell you what I'm not saying, and this has to be said. What are the words of God? The word of God never returns to God void. So what are they? They're promise. The word of God is very clear that you have got to have promise in front of you. Or you, you will not withstand the warfare. You'll not be able to, to follow Jesus' example and walk through your cup because he wants your joy to be full. <laughs> A couple of you are smiling even though I'm being so intense. I just want to thank you for that. <laughs> it's very encouraging to me. You got some joy, don't you? <laughs> Okay, I'm going to show you two more things. I don't have a ton of time here, but th this is really um, huge. And I want to show you, you know, there are two places in the gospel. There's probably more than two. I'm going to show you two places in the gospel of John where Jesus is speaking, and he wants you to know about your joy, your joy being full. Do you know that he wants your joy full? I know that because Jesus said it. He wants your joy to be full. And I think there, are some, there were some surprises for me, actually. So I think there are some surprises here. Go to John chapter 15. Okay, um, we're going to start in verse 11. <clears throat> here it says, um, Jesus speaking, okay? And he says, um, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Okay? Here Jesus is saying it's mission critical. You need full joy for this, for this warfare. If you're going to fight for yourself, <laughs> if you're going to get everything God wants you to have, everything he thought about you before you were even conceived, you're going to need your joy full. Okay? that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now he's going to tell you, why is he talking about friendship? Is friendship such a, um, just such a big thing? It is a big thing. He wants you to know that you're his friend. Tell somebody, I'm his friend. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You hear that? He wants you to understand. He wants you to know the will of God out in front of you so you can be established moving toward it. 
personal, intimately. I'm not, I'm not talking about like, like um, all the insights from the book of um, Hosea. <laughs> I'm talking about in intimacy, words for you. That's what a friend is. What makes you joyful? Participating in the things that he makes known to you because you're his friend. Now, now here we go. Verse, are we on verse 16? Verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Do you know that's two different things? He chose you. Do you really know that he chose you? I mean, like, I almost want you to picture a, a vast crowd of people. And Jesus is walking over, looking at the crowd, going, hmm, I need someone to carry my glory. I need somebody to do some really joy-filled things for me. I need somebody that's going to carry my power in ways um, to advance the kingdom in ways I've never seen before. I thank you. <laughs> he did that with every single one of you. That's what the word of God says. He chose you. And he didn't just choose you to sit around. The next thing it says, he chose and he appointed you for the bearing of fruit for joyous participation in the manifestation of your identity so that the kingdom of God is being manifest in this place. You're chosen and appointed for that. Say I'm chosen and I'm appointed for fruit. And then the really challenging part, we go into, and, and that your fruit should remain, that what, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Has anybody ever prayed and um, not had the answer come or the answer was no? Me too. So what is this? this we, we have to, there are various places. I think we're going to even see this in this next scripture that we're going to look at. But you understand that he says that in a context. He's not saying you can pray for an ice cream bar and you'll get it. He's, it's, in, it's in this context that you are chosen and you are appointed for the manifestation of the kingdom, for the bearing of fruit. You understand fruit is not your own. <laughs> fruit is what the Holy Spirit produces. You understand it's really easy. Now listen to me. It's, it's easy to do what you're good at and call it ministry. Or it's easy to walk victoriously during seasons of no trouble whatsoever and call it victory. When we're actually walking into things that require him, <laughs> that require the spirit, that require strength, might, power, manifestation that are far beyond anything you, you have to offer into the equation, you're beginning to make the Lord your banner. Amen? Do you know that he purposely calls you to impossible things? The word of God makes it really clear. You just need one example? Uh, like, I know that you have examples in your days, okay? I'll just give you one example. Be holy. <laughs> That's a command in the scripture. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you're better than me. But um, that's not possible. 
but anything's possible with God. He purposely calls us to the impossible. <laughs> Be healed. <laughs> right? Right? Do you know that he doesn't tell us to pray for the sick? Or there might be places he tells us to pray for the sick. But do you know that the words of Jesus, when he sends them out after his resurrection, when he sends them out, what does he say? He says, heal the sick. <laughs> That's a command to do it. He calls us to the impossible. When you begin to walk into things that you actually need his strength, his might, his wisdom, his ability to accomplish, you're beginning to make the Lord your banner. I'm not sure why I went there because I don't even think that's... You know, um, I, I better um, start moving. <laughs> Do you know far too often we pray for what we already have? Lord, be with us. Now, look, I'm, I'm not being derogatory. If you, I pray that way. If you pray that way, do it. You know, when my son comes to me to talk to me or, or ask me something, um, I'm not disappointed if he doesn't get the words right. Do you know that? Sometimes he even comes to me and he's being manipulative. <laughs> All right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but, but I want to tell you something, as infuriating as that is, as his father, I am still delighted in him in that moment. In fact, I'm so delighted that even though I kind of steer him onto a healthier track, um, I do it very gently because as his father, I never want him to stop choosing me as the one that he comes to. I am so delighted in him that even if what's on your heart is to manipulate or be ugly, please come to me for that. Right? That's the heart of a father. So I'm not being derogatory, okay, about your prayers. He is delighted in your prayers every single time you just choose to talk to him. Even if you're being manipulative or something, he's like, oh, I love my son, I love my daughter. I'm so glad you choose me to come talk to, you little manipulative one. <laughs> right? <laughs> the delight of a father over a son or a daughter. <laughs> Why am I talking about that? Maybe we just needed to have fun for a minute. <laughs> But I want to tell you, what he is trying to build, this is why. He is trying to build warriors where we already possess what we have. We go, Father, be with us. And he goes, <laughs> I already promised you I'm with you. I already said I will never leave you or forsake you. I already said don't be afraid because I go before you. Father, be with us. <laughs> right? Here I am, still with you. He wants warriors who we already know what we possess. And what we do when we come to talk with him is merely to make the exchange that we need in order to powerfully manifest what was his idea, namely our truest, healthiest, most powerful identity as a glory play, as the holding of the Holy Spirit, the person of God who manifests the kingdom here. 
We're merely making the exchanges. We're not praying, Father, give us the victory. He goes, I already gave it to you. We're praying, Father, give me the word that I need in order to walk in the victory so that I'm manifesting the victory that's already true. I'm making it manifest out here in front of me. I need the joy set before me. I'm running a little bit over, but is, I, I, I feel like I have to do this. Is that okay with you? I'm going to give you one more. Okay, go to John 16 with me. And verse 19. This is Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, he's speaking about exactly the same thing. We're just going to get another nugget of gold here so you can actually walk this. We... We need to become a people who have a joy set before us, who have a personal word from God that nobody can take. I know where I'm going. (laughs) I'm his friend. He shares things with me. How about you? He likes to share stuff with me. We're those people. We're his friend. We're the people of the presence of God. Here in 19, it says, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. So he's been talking about, I'm going to disappear, and then I'm going to be back. And, and he's, I would be confused when I read, you know, if I was one of the, the disciples at the time. And he knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you, um, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Are you, are you getting a handle on that? They will weep and lament, and the world, what's contrary to God, will rejoice. And he says, and you will be sorrowful. You understand he's saying for a time. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. The weapon of your warfare what makes it possible for you to walk straight into your cup so that you you glory with him, okay? Now, here it is. Now, I want to tell you something, okay? Just next, he's about to give us a picture, a crystal clear picture about how this works in the spirit, okay? Now, watch this. Verse 21 Jesus goes on and says, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. I'm absolutely certain every woman in the building who's given birth knows better what this is saying than I do. Okay? She has sorrow. Why? Just because her hour has come. And there is a bit of a battle in order to accomplish the fruit that comes next. And it goes on, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being, why is this missing? For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Okay, now listen to me. You understand, just, just, um, just as a concept, a baby is a promise, Right? When a woman goes into labor, she already has, she already knows that there is a joy set before her. There is an assurance in where this is going. 
That's why she can continue to walk into the anguish of what it takes to get from here to there. Do you remember we talked about the parable of the seeds, right? What does that parable lay out? There is the word of God spoken over you. Over here is a destiny fulfilled, and everything in between there is opposition and resistance, right? That's what we're reading here. I believe that God wants to give permission this morning, okay? He wants us to become a church that, that you know what, let me back up. He wants you to have an intimacy where, like the word of God says, you approach the throne of grace with boldness. Boldly, you approach the throne of grace where you cry out, according to his words here, where you're saying, show me the baby. (laughs) Okay, I've got to see. Father, I need a word from you. I need you to speak out where we are going. Because the life is full of plenty of battle. And I'll tell you something, as you start to inch your way towards being healthy, towards that freedom where your identity in Jesus is coming out, is coming, it's being freed, it's being healed, the enemy gets more and more nervous. And I'll tell you something, if you don't have any idea where you're walking, Jesus went to his father three times because he needed to know where he was walking. He went to the father and said, confirm your word for me, father. I know what the cup he knew what the cup was. That's why he was anguishing. And he even just went, for, went back for a confirmation on it <laughs> in order to move forward in what he needed to do. Are you stronger than him? Look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Do you know that is, he is delighted in you? It is okay to go to him and say, Father, I need a word. I need to know where we're going. I'm going to come back to you two times, three times. I'm not giving up on this until, until, until you confirm for me that we are going somewhere and I have some understanding of where we're walking. Amen? Do you have a relationship like that? If not... Does it explain why it's so hard to keep walking in the face of the warfare and the darkness of this age? I'm going to tell you, we've got, we have got to have a joy set before us. It's a holy thing to have a conversation with the Lord where your prayers consist of, show me the baby. I, don't, I can't go through the labor of this fruit if I don't know where we're going. Actually, I should, I should read this and I'll wrap up. It goes on and says, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Do you know that that's, first of all, that's the only joy. <laughs> You're made for that. So the only true joy is walking forward in what God has laid out for you is walking forward, is, is the, release, the manifestation of your father's good idea, namely you. <laughs> That's joy, okay? But here it says, this is the joy that no one can take for you. So not only is it the only joy, it's the joy that no one can take from you. When you have a word from your father, I dare someone to try to take it from me. goes on and says, and in that day you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
Here it is again. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now listen, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, what? That your joy may be full. You know, the word of God directly connects answered prayer to your joy being full. Specifically, answered prayer concerning the release of the will of God through you. That's the biblical definition of full joy. That's one of those things that you hear someone say and and they want to claim heresy. You're telling me that my joy is dependent on answered prayer? <laughs> All I'm doing is reading the word of God. That Jesus' words right here just said, that your joy may be full. It's, it's time we, we have a friendship. You know, I, I believe he's inviting this morning. He wants a friendship. He wants a demanding, <laughs> demanding. He wants an audacious friendship where you come as a friend and you go, Father, I I already know that you love me. I already know that you've already granted the victory. I need the word. Show me how to walk. You see, that's a prayer he can answer. He's, He's waiting for us to have prayers that he can answer so that your joy is full. I'll promise you this. Every time you come audaciously in humility before God and you have a prayer of, Father, I want to fight for myself. I agree that I was a good idea, that I was your idea and you have plans for me. I agree with that. That I already have. I already possess that. Now I ask you to show me how to manifest your good ideas, what's already true, those are prayers that, that were promised that he answers every time. That your joy may be full, the weapon of your warfare. For the joy set before him, he was able to endure the cross, his cup. Okay. Can I pray for you? thank you father we thank you father that um, we are warriors in this warfare that already possess so much that we already possess all things because all things are yours and we're your sons we're your daughters, we're your bride, we're, we are your beloved. We are the inheritors of everything that is yours. We thank you, Father, for the assurance of the goodness of your heart over us. And in the strong name of Jesus, I just declare right now over everyone here, including myself, over everyone here, Lord, I declare that there is the release of assignments happening even this morning, Lord, that, that your spirit would release a mighty boldness over your people so that we, we approach the throne of grace with a boldness.
that we come to you in the assurance of your love. We come to you asking, Lord, speak words over us. We ask boldly for an understanding of what those words are so that we can walk in them. Grant us the ability to move forward in in who you are and so therefore who we are. I ask that you are releasing mighty, world-changing, family-changing assignments that are the release of the kingdom of God through identities that you had planned before we were born. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We are dismissed. (laughs) Be blessed.